welcome to what what episode is it? Holy shit. 124. 20, one, two, three, four. Yeah. The exponential growth episode. One, two, four. Oh yeah. Uh welcome to Scattering Podcast episode one two four. One two four. I don't feel so good right now. <laughs> you don't? Are you pretty tired? I was up, I was up um pretty late. And so Chuck was on a, a good one last night and we got absolutely fucking wasted like i haven't in a long time dude i woke up on his couch you know later than i usually do like eight o'clock and we went out to breakfast and ate a buttload of food just all hung over and it's just like oh my stomach and it's just like oh god what did i do to myself just crippled myself so yeah i'm going on like a hangover and like four hours of sleep or something anyway i feel like that et that et meme you ever see that et meme that they have uh no it's like uh it was a picture of E.T. when he's sick and he's got like the uh, he's all white and like shriveled up, you know, and this is like the the, <laughs> the meme is like me at age 40 when I try to drink like I was 20 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. man. He's oh got the God. tubes in his nose and all that. Pounded a bunch of beers. Both of us polished off a bottle of vodka. I haven't done that since forever. Just crazy. What kind of vodka were you drinking? Oh, some cheap shit. I don't know. Chuck bought it. I don't even remember what it was. Was it in a plastic bottle or a glass? No, bottle? no, no. It was plastic. It was glass. It wasn't plastic. Okay. Well, at least it wasn't like bad. it wasn't like Stolichnaya <laughs> or what is that? Kamchatka vodka. It wasn't it wasn't that bad. But um, yeah. Ooh, God, just thinking about it kind of gets me like, uh, well, wait, maybe I'll just do a shot of vodka and make everything better. But it would ease it up a little bit, probably. How you feel? Maybe a little bit. I'm drinking a beer right now, so that helps. Scatterbrain Podcast does condone Ian doing another shot. Oh, anyway so what have you been doing oh man school's starting up this week coming up here so i've been trying to get ready for that shopping for clothes and getting new shoes and all that stuff so just getting ready to hit hit things back to regular schedule no more summer vacation that kind of thing was that it pretty summer, much summer already almost over no no, I don't know, but school starts up. I know some of the other school districts already started. Uh, ours starts uh, uh, next week. Weird. Uh, I guess it is mid-August, isn't it? It's all different now, man. Like, I remember we would get out in, like, June, and then we'd start, like, after Labor Day. Mm-hmm. And now they got out probably about the same time I normally would, but then now they're start- they're starting, like, a month earlier almost, you know? During school, I always remembered it being June, July, and August. You had those three months off, and then you went back beginning of what? September. Yeah. Yeah, you'd get out usually like the beginning part of June, first half of June sometimes, just depending like on, yeah. on how it fell. Yeah. Yeah, and then starting after Labor Day, so September 8th or something like that, right? 5th, whatever. And when I was in 6th or 7th grade, it was when that year-round year school started to become popular. You know, like two months on, one month off, two months on, one month off. I always, I always thought like, God, I want to do that. <laughs> the whole idea of just doing two months and a month off just sounded so much better. Oh, that's one way of doing it. I know uh, Cornell College does that. They do like one class per term. So right. it's like literally just one class. And But I'm sure you're, it's all encompassing. But it seems like it seems like you'd retain your knowledge better that way, too. Maybe. But then if you don't use it, I mean, you know, my kids got math i was just talking about this today with my wife actually about how i need to go and brush up on my math because my oldest is doing math that i haven't done in 30 years 
And then he's asking me for help. And I'm like, I have to figure, remember how to do this and got to figure it out. So I need to kind of brush up on it. You know, if you don't use it, you lose it. They still make them do hit math by hand, don't they? How else do you do it? Well, because some like people like colleges and stuff, you don't have to do any of that shit by hand. You have calculators to just use a calculator and do all your math. Yeah, sure. But you have to know how to what to punch in, right? And so there's a point where you're supposed to learn the arithmetic, you're supposed to learn the math, and then yeah, eventually it's like, okay, we can presume that you understand algebra by hand. Yeah. So you can understand at some point now yeah, you're supposed to understand this. So so you go to, so you go to college, you you must understand it. So calculator's fine. That and you calculate, yeah. yeah. And what yeah, and when the solar flare hits and uh and we have no electricity for you know months, maybe years, and we're thrown back into the dark ages, at least we can still do math by hand, right? The abacus. Yeah, the abacus, sure. Yeah. Start planting your own crops and uh oh god, that would be fucked. I'm gonna start yeah, buying I'm, be- I'm gonna start buying candles because we might need them. There um <laughs> there was this there was a solar flare recently. Did you hear about that? Uh you might have mentioned it to me actually. No, it was just like within the last day or two. I guess the, oh, no. the northern lights were pretty spectacular a couple days ago. Because it just just slammed right into Earth. But I don't think anything was taken out. We get lucky. Those things seem to like eject into space like right when we go by or on the other side, you know. So we've been getting pretty lucky. Yeah, there have been a couple of them. Wasn't there one like in the 90s and then like another one? We talked actually we talked about this, I think, during a very early episode. We talked about the East Coast getting knocked offline or something like that. Oh, that happened once also in like 2003 or something. Maybe that's what we're, I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. It was like 10 hours or something. And all those people on that bridge walking across the bridge and like people running around in the streets in the pitch black. It's like, holy shit. New York would be kind of scary in one of those kind of situations. But but if something like the Carrington event from the eight, I think it was 1850s happened like today, we'd be fucked, dude. Cause that was like, that just wiped out. Like it was one tele, you know, telegraphs. I guess they, they were told to turn all the telegraphs off because they some guy, you know, Carrington saw the sunspot. I thought, well, that's pretty weird. You know, didn't really understand what was going on. But then all the telegraph lines were like zapping the people who are like sending the, the messages, like electrocuting people. And so they're told everyone to turn all this stuff off, right? Turn all these uh, telegraph machines off. And they continued to work for hours because there's so much electricity. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is crazy. That just from the, from the impact or from the, the, uh, just from the solar flare, yeah. solar flare slamming into us, yeah. But if if something like a, a yeah solar maximus like that was lined up perfectly with Earth, we'd be everything would be wiped off the line. Like all the grids would go down across the planet, dude. We would be so fucked; it'd be unbelievable. And probably wouldn't. I, what I heard was probably wouldn't get them back online for at least a few months, maybe even years. So wh- wow, what do you do for a couple of years? You know, and all these new electric cars and all these electrical systems would be all wiped out. So you'd be like going, wow, really like my gasoline engine at this point, because those are the only people who are going to have cars. But then when they run out of gas, how are you going to get gas? Because all those pumps are, you know, electric. So what are you going to do? Yeah, it'd be fun to be back in the Stone Ages. Yeah. Can- candles and bicycles, man. Playing, uh, playing, playing, hunting, board. Yeah. playing, board gathering. Games. playing board games, hunting, gathering, slaying each other for land. Back to it. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, I saw I saw an article actually that was talking about um, they, they found this like early specimen of person that was actually a blend. They said that pretty much one parent was Neanderthal and one was a Denisovan, Den- Denisovan. Uh huh. And that this one individual was actually essentially a hybrid. Like we're talking like that point where these two 
species could breed, interbreed. Right. And interesting, man. That was only those. Uh, I don't know how you say it. Dennis, Dennis, Oven, Dennis, Oven, whatever. Sure. Yeah, that was in just one little pocket of, of Europe, I think. Right. And there's nothing of that left anymore. I don't think. So they said they found this ancient child from Siberia. And it's thought to be the only known individual whose parents were from different species. So they found some remains in Asia. And um, let's see here, what does it say? Project leader Katerina Duca said in a statement back in 2018, we aim to find out where they lived and when they came in contact with modern humans and why they went extinct. Huh. They took these bones that they had discovered in a Siberian cave in 2010 and uh, started doing analysis on them and analyzed the DNA. Yeah. They found exactly half of the sample contained Neanderthal DNA and the other half of Denisovan DNA. They retested it and confirmed the same thing. This is these are ninety thousand year old remains. And they call it meant to say it, it was a hybrid of a Neanderthal mother and a Denisovan father, and they nicknamed this individual Denny. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> Denny. Yeah, maybe, maybe we're gonna all be be all living like Denny here pretty soon. <laughs> well, didn't I thought modern humans and and um, Neanderthals interbred somewhat too? Like a lot of people existing today have some neanderthal dna still right yeah and what there's some like weird percentage of the planet too that is a certain percent of genghis khan which is weird yeah i, I don't remember what it was but it's like significant it like gets a lot I know, it's a lot dude. it's like wow that guy was out of control i mean how many kids did that dude have what's that a shitload let's look it up right now i want to look it up yeah, i'm actually. kind of curious Must okay buttload because his one of his sons kublai khan took over right and he was pretty famous too obviously kublai khan didn't he try to invade Japan a couple times and failed? I think so. He must have had hundreds of kids. Hundreds. How many children did Genghis Khan really have? Yeah. Let's see. Do, 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 well, four sons. Yeah, but he was uh, raping and pillaging. So, yeah, I mean, sure. that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's thought that Genghis Khan had hundreds of children. Jeez. He had at least four official sons and five official daughters with his primary wife. A primary wife. Primary okay. wife. <laughs> so nine with his primary wife. Okay. Officially. Exact, the exact number of children produced by the Mongol warrior is unknown. But it could be extremely high since he is thought to have had around 500 secondary wives. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> He's like, you're mine. You're mine. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then the husband <laughs> just gets slain and thrown into a pit. Yeah, yeah. Boom. Another, another wife. Oh, are those your children with him? Uh, slaves. Oh, my God. What a guy. What a guy. Oh, he's even more prolific than you. Shit. <laughs> I, I miss Stanley, and I, I don't know if I have any other dog. I, 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 wait, there are no other dogs out there that, that are mine that I know of. <laughs> Fucking stupid. Sorry. Anyway, yeah, that's pretty weird. Uh, the whole Neanderthal things. When did they find these bones? When was this? Uh, 2010, they said. Oh, okay. 2010. And this is just they, I guess, sort of like some new research that came out. And didn't they find bones of a human species in like the in an Indonesian island or something? And they were like basically like pygmies, like really, really tiny, but they were human. I think I read something about that. Yes, I think it was pretty far back to another hundred some thousand years. Yeah, but they found artifacts that suggested they were thinking people, but they were like four feet tall or something, something trippy. But they were human. It's really weird. And well, plus giants too. I think giants, there were, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine foot tall people at one point too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Think they I found think, bones of that shit. True. 
Yeah, they found bones. Uh, was it the those redheaded Indians that they found the bones in that cave in Nevada? I think. Mm. Remember that? That was kind of. It was a. It was like in the Indians, like uh, folklore or you know their myths or whatever. And then in the early 20th century, they were clearing out that cave to take the guano. They were using the guano for something, all the bat droppings and stuff. And underneath it, they found all these bones and they were like seven feet tall and redheaded. And there was a bunch of them. And apparently, according to their their myth and legend, the Indians was that they were always warring with these these people and they only came out at night because their skin was so fair right but they were always at war with them somehow and they trapped them in this cave and then lit a huge fire at the mouth of the cave and burned them all alive that's how they finally won nice stuff huh that's brutal brutal but it turns out it wasn't a myth because they found the bones trippy i wonder how much other stuff out there is not myth you know yeah it's again sometimes the reality is stranger than the fiction yeah totally you want to get to the reviews yeah, let's get to the review. We got a couple of them this week, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We have had this one on the list for quite some time, actually. It's been on the list for a while, at least a couple months. I, I think you mentioned it a while back. Because there's so much music right now. Yeah. So, But we're going to double up. We're going to do another one as well. So let's talk first about Carnage. Carnage from K9. Stay tuned. I like this album cover, dude. It reminds me of the... Uh... The um, Death Angel album cover, you know, with the kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah, I thought that as well. I wonder if it's the same artist because it looks very similar, like almost a ripoff similar, but it's still a cool cover. Yeah. Do you uh, do you want to talk about this? These guys, this or this album? So this album is called Carnage with a K, K A R N A G E. The band is Canine with a K. From France. From France. Mm-hmm. It's nine tracks, twenty nine minutes, twelve seconds. Released July eighth. 2022 you'd call this an ep right i mean ep really just because it's short 29 minutes it is nine tracks though this is like on the cusp there it's nine i think it's just short it's just a short album now yeah. i mean this would be right around that same length and number of tracks is like rain and blood and i guess rain and blood's not an ep right and the first song isn't really a song it's just like an, int- an intro thing you know 40 seconds or something yeah it's, it's kind of like what would you call it? like it's like a hardcore techno kind of intro or something like that i don't know i don't know what i don't yeah I don't it, know it reminded me of some of like the heavy electronic music that they had during what is it what, was... what is this shit because it is it is really heavy but is this what they call like dubstep or something yeah i call, I call this deathcore deathcore I mean, it's deathcore okay. death metal hardcore they got like the the nasty like breakdowns where it's just really slow yeah and the bass is turned like almost yeah, way the sound, too loud yeah. the bass is just like boom like your chest like Ugh. yeah and then yeah. all of a sudden it'll just go boom boom you're like the fuck is going on here but it's really heavy that's for damn sure yeah it's heavy as hell these guys formed in 2020 and they're from strasbourg france what i thought was pretty impressive after only two years of being a band most of which was during like a pandemic lockdown. Yeah. They're going to be playing at the Death Fest open air in Germany later this month. Yeah. With bands like Suffocation and Ingested. So that's like pretty impressive given instant success. Kind of. Yeah. Yep. The current current members include on vocals, Jason Gerhard, Lucas Eckert on bass, Gabriel Labouvier on drums, mm-hmm. Alexander Lawrence on guitar. Like I think I said, this is their debut release. 
Do you think this guy's really playing drums? I do. I think all the the sub kind of stuff; those are all triggers, you know. Yeah, it just almost sounded it almost sounded too perfect, too metered. You know what I mean? Yeah, you said that about Carnosis too. Yeah, yeah, it's the same kind of thing though. Yeah, but it's like I think it's the production of it, and then when you when you use the triggers and those types of things, I think you have to do that with the style of music. When you say triggers, do you mean they're electronic drums? No, not necessarily. But they have triggers. It's like like things that sit on your drums and it'll trigger like those sub hits, right? So yeah, so you like one hit will be two hits, like it'll double up your your beats. Mm, I'm just talking about like when you get those like woo, those big like drop sub drops, those are essentially like a thing, like a sub hit, like a, probably a kick, electronic kick drum with like a long decay, right? And a lot of distortion. Mm-hmm. So this thing for I don't think that they're playing an electronic kit. I think that they have the trigger like clipped onto the drum that when they engage that for that part of the song, it just hits that like low. I don't know if that's what they're doing. I don't know either, but I mean, when I hear triggers on drums, I, I picture it as being a trigger, like it triggers an extra beat. So like, you know, like Vinnie Paul was, you can do what you want though. I don't think it has to be that Vinnie Paul was double bass. He would, he would hit, he would hit one, you know, do, 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 go back and forth. But each time he would hit the one, it would be two. So it sounded like a, tr- a quadruplet. You know what I mean? Be all, I, don't do, 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 do. I don't know, dude. I don't know if the, you can say that. I don't know if, if he used triggers. Did he use triggers to double up? I don't think he did. If uh, Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He totally did. Listen to some of the songs, too. It's like he can his feet can't fucking go that fast. And I know Jim's going to go. Yeah, they can. Yeah, they can. So I don't know. Someone That's is just, good, man. <laughs> no, he was good, but I don't know if he can like actually do. Well, maybe he can because Nickel McBrain sounds like he's got double bass and he's only playing one single bass drum. So, you know, maybe so. Who knows? Yeah, I don't think. I mean, I can't say I was paying attention necessarily, but I saw Pantera a handful of times. Well, you would notice that though. Yeah, uh, well, I think you would notice if it was doing something he wasn't playing. I mean, if he's not doubling up he's hitting one i don't know if he's doing if he's doing double bass like and it sounds like like you know like four times that fast then you'd notice with his legs as his legs were gone that it's doubling up like that you could see that sure so yeah. i don't know that's been his i don't i don't think vinnie paul used triggers maybe he did who knows these guys are i think to to generate those those sub okay so that's not what lows, triggers are. you know that's not what triggers are then. my mind is just thinking of triggers is something different than well, I think it triggers you can do whatever you want, right? You can okay, make well, it so it sounds like someone's talking. Right? So it's all whatever you implement at the once that signal's captured by that piece of hardware. You know, so if you wanted to double up, you could double up. If you wanted to add just the same thing but with an echo, you could, right? If you wanted to make it sound like some of this stuff where it's like really distorted and like sounding like, you know, like I said, hardcore like techno music, electronic music then that's what they're doing right because that's gonna if you plug into like a big pa system or that's what you're recording that's what you're gonna hear it doesn't matter even if you hit hear the acoustic drum right i'm old i want triggers on my doubles up so i can just kick back and it sounds fast <laughs> raise the bar awesome. you know it's like wow ian plays fast i'm just like kicking back with a cigarette yeah with one anyway. with one pedal <laughs> yeah one arm just ding 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 anyway uh yeah this is a uh, crazy fucking heavy dude that's heavy as hell i i liked it right off the bat but it was probably like on maybe during the first or the second listen through it started to sound a lot the same to me i loved it the first time i heard it i thought it was pretty fucking good and it it wore off really quick yeah same thing man same thing you know what though this is another instance where the three listen rule comes in big time yeah because actually as i listen to it more 
I noticed more of what they were doing and I grew to like it more. Uh-huh. Uh, the vocals for this really follow the generic marble mouth with like the, the squeals. Mm-hmm. It fits the music. Like I said, it's super heavy. But after I listened to this more and more, I kind of got past the a lot of these things sound the same because they're doing things within there that I maybe didn't notice initially. And plus, there's just some parts where you just get makes you get that like stink face grin, you know, like just heavy as hell. Yeah, and fast. Or some parts that are just so over the top fast, it's just like holy shit. Yeah, and then all of a yeah. sudden, just bogs right down, and you're like, whoa, okay. You know, uh, yeah, I think I liked it the most the first time I heard it, and then the next couple times it was like hard to get through because it was almost too heavy for what I was in the mood for that day or something. But um, the last couple times I listened to it, though, I enjoyed it because I, I guess because I knew the songs by that point, you know. Yeah, and, uh, I think the title track is my favorite song, actually. Yeah, it is a good one. I think like listening to this album, this album actually just sort of exemplifies why I don't listen to more of the deathcore kind of genre. Because I love the those breakdowns where it's just like boom, 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 boom like really slow, and like heavy as hell. Mm-hmm. And then that's how else I can describe them. But after like after like four songs that do that, I'm like, okay. I mean, it's like it's like that band corn i'll use that as an example i'm not a huge corn fan oh, i don't god. hate corn until they response you hate them oh god but oh, wait, they wait, all wait. sound a oh, bile a little bile came up i'm sorry <laughs> oh, okay but they right. all they all kind of sound like they're doing their thing you know so with this one they kind of exemplified to me why i don't listen to more of this genre even though i like it because it's super heavy and i love heavy ass music me too it depends on my mood though it really does. This is this mo- this kind of music in particular. If I'm in a like a fucking just raging, driving, fucking energetic sort of mood, it's perfect. But you know, just to put it on, just to have, just to listen to something is like that doesn't really work too well. But I'm not saying it sucks. But it's good though. I, yeah, you like I'm it, not right? It sucks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely, it's super fucking tight, and these guys are really good. It really does sound like a drum machine, though. It's so fucking fast. But I guess it doesn't matter really. I mean, it's good. And changes are good. And yeah, it is pretty layered. There's a lot to it, actually. Even though every song can kind of bleed into the next one, it sounds kind of the same. It can get kind of stale after a while. If you listen to too much of it, I could see it getting old pretty quick. But um, it is pretty layered. There's stuff that you missed the first time. And I, I agree. Yeah, but it is good. So what would you give this thing? Um, I'm going to give this an eight. This isn't like one of my favorite albums of the year so far. Uh, but it's it's definitely not a stinker by any means. Um, it's right in the top, you know, it's, it's listenable. I'll listen to it again, but it's not going to go in like my full rotation all the time or anything, you know, a song might pop up here and there on shuffle, but yeah, it's not something I'm going to really go back to, especially. Yeah. I was initially going to give it an eight as well, because I felt similarly about it as I did the good old tried and true Zabalba. <laughs> right. I think I like Zabalba a little, a little bit better, but I, I can't say it's better than this, especially. I think these guys are tighter and, and a little better. So it, it matches. Eight sounds right. As I listen to this one a little more, though, I think I need to bump it up just a bit. I'm actually going to give it an eight and a half. Wow. I don't know that I'm going to go back to it all the time. Yeah. But this is there. It's saved. When I feel like something super heavy, I'm definitely going to look to this because it's killer. Yeah. I just, it's just. Like I said earlier, I it's like this is what probably exemplifies why I don't listen to this deathcore genre more, just because it, you know, I love it. It sounds awesome, but then I, I I'm good after a little bit, you know. Yeah, this band is when I first heard it too. It just felt like it leans a little bit more toward your style than my style too. It just mm-hmm. kind of felt that way. Like I think Dan's gonna really like this. You know, I mean, I did too, but 
it just felt like something more more your speed than mine, I guess. Gotcha. Well, this next one we're going to talk about since we're doubling up this week, and I'm actually surprised you wanted to review it. I'm glad you mentioned um, it today, really today. I wanted to because I initially said let's not. We are not reviewing this. I just felt like it was kind of unfair. You know, I I, I feel like we should like review more like maybe newer bands, more obscure bands, or, or forgotten bands, or ones that are coming back, or you know, but. We we reviewed Sore Thungle. They've been around forever, and Testament, you know, and Warbringer, and they aren't like tiny brand new bands. So it was like, well, I've been listening to the shit out of this album the last couple of weeks, and so today I just said, you know, you want to just double up and just do it, and it's Soulfly. All right, what is it? It is Totem, 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 Totem Scrotum. I didn't realize. <laughs> It's, it's totem, not totem. I didn't realize that was his son playing drums. I'd forgotten about that until I looked it up. Did he play drums before for Soulfly? Right? I think he did on Savages or something about 10 years ago or something. I don't know. I think so. 2011 or 12. He started in 2013. So okay, okay. Soulfly formed in 97, a little bit after that nail bomb project. The whole breakup. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. Yeah, so they said so. Here, what I read, it's a 2013. So that puts oh, Savages was the album. Oh, I nailed it. Oh, cool. Oh, he's been since then to present. Now here's here's something. Um, Rizzo was the guitar player for with him for the lead guitars for like 17 years or something for quite a while. He's not on this album, but for some reason I thought he left the band like four or five albums ago, not just from the last album. You know, he's he's not just gone on this last. Rizzo's album. been gone for a while. That's what I thought, but um, according according to Max, he's been playing on every single album for seventeen years. Where did you read that? Because I I could have. I heard it from him. It was it was a, a quote. It was a quote from him. He mm-hmm. said there was a bunch of drama with Rizzo, and the drama pissed me off and made me angry. And I went and I started writing. We went right into the studio, and that's why it's such an aggressive album. This and that, you know, because of all that drama with Rizzo. And I'm like, wait a minute, he left the band a while ago, though. Is he talking about someone else? Uh, I don't know. Because the guy who does leads on this album is is like the producer of the album, I guess. Okay, so let's talk about this here. Yeah. Okay, so this this album, like we said, it's called Totem. It was released August 5th, 2022. 10 tracks, 40 minutes, 8 seconds. Mm-hmm. As we, We've got Max Cavalera on vocals and the guitars. Uh, his son on drums, as you mentioned. And it says Mike Leone. Is that the guy that plays with like uh, Phil Anselmo? In the illegals, I don't. You mean you mean like with a super joint ritual or down or, I don't know which one you're talking about. With the illegals, I don't know if he played on, on super joint ritual and all that either. I'm not sure about that. What the fuck are the illegals? I've never heard of that. Phil Anselmo's band. Really? Uh, no, okay. I'm looking at it here. It's a different guy. It's a different guy. Okay. Anyways, so never mind. But then when I heard this album, to me it sounds heavier and less less groovy than a lot of the other Soulfly stuff. It sounds like he's going back to fucking basics is what it sounds like. And it's fucking great. Yes. But I know that he is having, he has having a Dino play live. I wonder if Dino's on this album. I lo- I tried to look. Who's Dino? Now who's Dino? Who are you referring to? So Dino, Dino Cazares. He's the guy that plays with Assassino. Uh, he was at Fear Factory. And right. He's done a lot of stuff. Like right now with the Cavalera, whatever Max and Igor are doing now. Dino's playing with them. I know he's playing with that with Soulfly live as well. Yeah, yeah. He produced the album and he does the leads. That's right. 
Okay, so Dino, it is Dino Kazaras then. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, so I called it because I had the text message with Jim. I was like, oh, it sounds heavier, more death metally. I wonder if it's Dino. And yeah, I didn't know what you're. I didn't know what you're referring to as Dino because, yeah, I just didn't. I didn't put it together. Is what it was, and that's why I made the comment that you know I have. I've kind of gave up on Soulfly since Rizzo left because I really like Rizzo's guitar playing. And then I, I read that that thing saying you know about this drama with Rizzo and it made him angry and that's why this album's so much heavier and blah blah blah. And I'm like. How does it wait? I thought he left a while ago, not just not like he was on the last album. So I'm a little confused as to who was their guitar player that he just had a falling out with and a bunch of drama. Who was that? That's my question. Uh, I think it's Rizzo. Let me look it up here. Okay, so so he didn't leave way back like like four or five albums ago. Uh, I don't know, dude. I thought it was because he wasn't on. I don't think he was on Omen. I think that was the first album without him or the last album with him, something like that from 2010. Omen was the last Soulfly album I purchased and was into because I thought Rizzo left and I heard the next one and I thought it was kind of, eh, eh, it's kind of okay. You know, and then I, I tried another album and it was just kind of too much of the weird. Okay. So you're right here. I was just looking at this. Yeah. This is Mark Rizzo guitar lead guitars from 20, or I'm sorry, 2003 to 2021. That, how does that make sense? I thought that he had left before. Me too. Like years ago. Yeah, like in 2010 or 11 is when I yeah. thought he left. So I'm kind of, I'm like really confused. Did he not play live with him? Maybe he still played on the maybe, studio. Maybe that's what it was. He probably played on, a, played on the studio albums and then someone else did the live stuff, I bet. Something like that. And because he said something about it was great to hear the new leads from, from a new player, right? And it made him all excited and stuff. That was his quote. And he said, you know, you know, after a while, it just all of, all of, Rizzo's lead sounded the same, or he said something to that effect. And I was like, wait a minute, I thought he left like a decade ago. So that's weird that we both thought that, though. I, I don't get it. Because I know live he wasn't playing with him, and I thought he was just gone. So weird. Very yeah. weird. That, hey, Mandela effect, right? Yeah, I don't... <laughs> I, think, I think we're just confused. Maybe we just weren't in on the loop, because I do recall that there was drama years and years ago. And so maybe it just got dealt with and we didn't know, you know? Oh, I thought he left amicably after the Omen album and he got another guy in and then the next album was a different guy and he's just kind of using different players like he did before Rizzo because there's a couple different guitar players before Rizzo on the first few albums, right? Uh, and I might point out that, that um, two and Primitive are fucking amazing Soulfly albums. I don't think the first one's the best one. Uh, two, uh, no, wait, is it Primitive and Three? I think that's what it is. Primitive and Three. Primitive's a good one. Oh, fuck yeah. And um, uh, uh, Dark Ages is good too. Um, that one's a little... It's a little oh, more like almost one. like a Pro electronic prophecy. or something. Kind of prophecy was a good one. That one though, that one has some really bitching songs, and then some of it just it just fades. It's like way too tribal for too long, kind of at the end. Really long stuff, you know. But this one, I love that they cut out all the extraneous bullshit, dude. Yes, three, three minute fucking grinders. This is some of the best stuff I think he's written. I agree. I, oh, I love this. This is really really good. Oh fuck yeah, I'm addicted to it. I've been playing it over and over and over, dude. This is kind of, like you said, back to the basics. It's yeah. heavy as hell. I think you can hear that with with Dino in there. Uh, one thing I thought was kind of funny, just as a side note, because I was looking at these past members, good old Tony Campos. Well, he's <laughs> guy's everywhere. I told you he was in Soulfly, remember? <laughs> yeah, well, I knew that. I knew yeah. that. I saw them. I saw them. With oh, him. see, I was just, I was like, yeah, wasn't he in Soulfly? And you're like, yeah, yeah that dude's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, holy shit. Wouldn't did he play with him? Uh, oh, I, I closed that tab. Uh, it's like 2000s for five yeah. or eight years or something. Oh, for um, a while. Okay. I thought it was just an album. Yeah. 
That's pretty cool, though. He played Tony Campos played with them, I guess, only two, 2011 to 2015. But I, I don't know. So he would have been on two of their albums then. Yeah, but probably live more. I don't know. It seemed like I'd seen them prior to that with Tony Campos. Now, maybe you know this. There's one of these songs in the beginning of the album that decidedly does not sound like Max Cavalera. Who the fuck is that? I don't know, but you know what? There's a couple songs in here that I want to know if it's ripoffs or if it's an homage. <laughs> what do you mean? Okay, so there are two songs back to back. Track three. No. Or, I'm sorry, track two, Scouring the Vile. Oh, yeah. The opening riffs, the obituary riff. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that. I didn't notice that. I, I, I think it's the, I, I didn't go and look it up, but I think it's, or go compare them, but I think it's the lead, opening lead from Infected. Off of the oh, okay. Cause of Death album. I didn't catch it. But then the next track, Rotten Pain, it's a Morbid Angel riff. I did catch that one. But um, that's one of my favorite songs, too. That the one. Mortal Rights, the... I think, the, the Morbid Angel song is from. Oh, yeah, yeah uh, I, that's one of my favorite songs. And the one after it, too, was the fucking badass song, dude. That's such a good song. Oh, you know, a couple other really good songs. Track five, Damage Done. Ooh, great song. And track six, the to- totem, the, the track title track, yeah, yeah, totem's a great song. Well, it better be it's a title track, but yeah, um, was it uh, rotten pain? Uh, was it rotten pain? And what was the other one? Uh, oh, filth upon filth or whatever. The way he sings it, I just love the way he sings it. And I notice almost every song he does that reverse, like that reverse echo on his voice. So like every every time he comes in to, to the vocal parts, it goes like you know. You know what I mean? Where it comes yeah. in like that, and it sounds so fucking awesome, dude. I love that. Well, he did that with Sep- Sepultura stuff as well. All the time, yeah. It, but he hasn't been doing that for a long time. And I, I swear he did it on damn near every song on this album, and it sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. I liked uh, track seven as well, Ancestors. It's more down tempo. Great song. Kind of more of that groovy type of soulfly, prototypical soulfly. But I really like that one. And the last track, Spirit Animal, it's a nine minute thirty two second song, but, <laughs> but it, it's it, it's good. a great it's a great way to end it's a great way to end the album for such a powerful and fast it's it's really a lot faster than a lot of the previous Soulfly stuff. I mean, it's just a lot of these songs are just straightforward, fast, fucking good. It reminds me of fucking the whole Arise and Chaos AD era of Max. It really does, yeah, yeah, the good era, the good era, right? Yeah, it's good shit, dude. What do you think? Well, you mentioned last week that I might be a little stingy with the nine. <laughs> <laughs> and this this is kind of, I have a feeling where this is going. And this is kind of why I felt like maybe we shouldn't review this. Because I, as soon as I heard it, I went, oh my God, this is fucking awesome. Right? And I continue to listen to it. And it gets better every time I've heard it. Dude. Better. Well, to me, this is better than a nine. Oh, yeah. So I think, I think true to my cheap ass, stingy self, I'm going to give it a 9.2. <laughs> I reserve the right to maybe change it to increase it for the year end. Right. But this is one of my favorites that I've heard this year. This is with, you know, reviewing for the podcast. This is a killer freaking album. It's fucking killer, dude. So you are matching, you are matching your best of the year so far with intoxicated and I'm matching my best of the year for drowned and I'm giving it a 9.5. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So those are my two favorites of the year and, uh, intoxicated and uh soulfly are your two best so far this year and it makes me kind of wish i'd given intoxicated a little bit of a higher rating but i still rated it higher than you so yeah, it's fine dude i i listen i've been listening to that a little bit again dude and it is so damn good it is so i listened to a couple songs yesterday they have a new video for um for the title track actually 
right? And I, it just came out two or three days ago, and I watched it this morning, fucking fuzzy-eyed, hungover, and I was just like, oh my god, this song is so much better than I remember, dude. Just watching them in the studio fucking playing, it was so good. And you, that album is epic, dude. It's getting even better. I agree. It's getting better, dude. I, I, where, the, where the fuck have these guys been? You know, it's like, well, with Andrew WK, apparently, but still. Yeah, great album. And this is a great album. 9.5. This album, Totem from Sepultura. <laughs> Sorry, Soulfly. Jimmy Sepultura. <laughs> Freudian uh, Swift. This oh, album, boy. Totem from Soulfly, is what we're talking about today. And you gave it a 9.5, and I gave it a 9.2. Yeah. We also talked about Carnage from Canine. The band Canine, right? The band Canine. Just to kind of, I don't know if we did that the last time. What did you give it? I gave it an 8.5 and you gave it, gave it an 8, right? You gave it 8.5, I gave it an 8. Yeah, it's it's just good too. If you like heavy, you'll like it. Um, a little too electronic and dubstepy for me, I guess. But um, it, yeah, it, it, a 29-minute album kind of shouldn't every now and then feel like you know you get halfway through it and you don't you kind of want to move on. That's kind of what I felt. But this Soulfly album, dude, is epic, dude. It's really good. I think... I think it might be one of, the, if not the best, it might be the best Soulfly album, actually. So check it out, definitely. I could see that. I might go so far as to say the same thing. Because, I mean, I don't know, Soulfly always kind of had that groove thing, that tribal kind of thing going on. Which I like. Yep. This has that. Yeah. It's just a touch. But it's just a touch, and it's it's heavy, fucking just blasting straight through three-minute songs, and it's so good. It's so good, dude. And... uh when I was bagging on uh, Chris Barnes as being not the greatest lyricist in the world, Max is a really good fucking lyricist, dude. His lyrics are awesome. I know you don't read them, but I've, I've been reading along, and he just he does some you know Chef's Kiss mwah, lyrics. So nine point is that the, is that how you search for it? Chef's Kiss. Because you know I look for I look for emojis and I try like Italian hand and stuff and it doesn't give it to me. No, there's nothing there. I tried. I think it used to. <laughs> oh, that they need a Chef's Kiss emoji. That's true, right? They have it. They no, have they it. don't. No, they don't. Absolutely, they do. A face going like with two, three fingers to his mouth, like it's Mwah. the hands. They have the hand. Oh, it's just the hand. It. Okay, the hand motion. Yeah, barely counts. That's, you barely. Gotta a, you got to put a face <laughs> and then a hand. It's just like putting a fucking peach next to the zucchini. It doesn't really count. So, um, so shall we move on to the? Uh, <laughs> shall we move on to the topic now? So I know we were going to talk about a guy that we have talked about before in passing on previous episodes. It's definitely time to give him one, give him his own segment. It's a very interesting story that I'm sure, not sure that I completely discount. It's so far out there. I want to disbelieve, but I don't know. There's something to it that I'm not really sure about that sort of seems kind of reliable. And every episode where we've talked about UFOs or the topic is UFOs or the chronologies, he seems to always come up for a reason. Like, cause he ties into all of this stuff. Uh, Bob Lazar claims that he doesn't give a shit about this topic, this subject, the whole UFO thing. He's not a UFO researcher. He's not. He he refers to the researchers and the UFO crowd as UFO nuts because people want to talk to him and interview him, and he just shuts him down. He doesn't want to deal with that shit. So he's a little dismissive of the whole topic, even though he says that he directly worked on back engineering a saucer that he called a sports model. Stay tuned for Bob Lazar coming up next. So uh, tell, tell me what you know about Bob Lazar. Well, honestly, what I know about Bob Lazar is from what I've seen on YouTube, 
And there was, I think it was on Netflix, a documentary about him. Yep. So I kind of just know a little bit about him in, in general. Did you watch that documentary? On Netflix? I yeah. think so. I've watched a lot of different stuff on Bob Lazar. I mean, this guy's been around in the in the uh, what do you say spotlight of, of guys? <laughs> yes, for quite some time. Yeah, I mean he's been around. He he worked claims to, to and I say claims because there seems to be some proof about different stuff, but then some of the stuff is like wiped. Right. He he says he went to um certain colleges and they, he's not in he's not like in any of the books he's not like on you know in the records as ever having gone there but people know him people that went there know him from there exactly and other people that he doesn't even hang out with or associate with anymore have said oh no i went to school with him he was in my class you know so that makes you kind of go wait what and one guy even said you know he didn't have a car at the time and he dropped him he, he dropped him off in front of the school like every day for like a year for, oh, so he could just fake it i mean come on really Bob Lazar was born in January, uh, January 26, 1959. He's a guy that, I'll, I'll just say it, claims to have worked uh, at an area called S4. That's kind of near Area 51. That's a top secret research facility. And he claims to have worked there in the 80s to reverse, reverse engineer extraterrestrial technology. Right. And he was there very briefly, I think, from uh, the beginning of 88 to the end of 88. When um, shit went down, because apparently his wife was having an affair, and the military military knew that this was happening when he didn't know, so they thought he was unstable to be continuing to work there, and they cut his they cut his time on on the on at S four, you know, and he was wondering why why are they not allowing me to work there anymore, not knowing that his wife had been cheating, right? Military did know, and then he found out, and depression set in, and all this stuff. And then he started taking his friends out to the area to watch the saucers. And on three separate occasions, he took uh, Lear, the son of the guy who invented the the Lear jet, dude. And he has the most flying certificates of anybody on the planet. Like he can fly any kind of plane. So this guy's legitimate, right? He completely believes Bob Lazar, and they actually have video footage of them in their camper. Right next to Area 51, filming one of these lights in the sky, dancing around and stuff. And you can wow. hear them all going, ooh, ah, whatever. You know, so they saw the stuff and they said, you know, what's on videotape doesn't even doesn't even show what they were watching. You know, but he knew he knew the times every Wednesday at a certain time. He knew the dates, the times when they're going to be flying these tests and everything. And they showed up and boom, it would happen. And so Lear was convinced that he was telling the truth or he's a, or he's a magician. You know, he, Lazar claims to have gone to gotten a physics degree from MIT and also another degree from uh, Caltech. But as we said, yet there's no record of him, but then, yeah, like you said, people know him. Yeah. Well, and he claimed to work at Sandia laboratory in new, in new Mexico, right? Sandia labs where they developed and, you know, created the nuclear bombs and stuff. And that's where they still do a lot of those kind of, uh, you know, governmental research. And, um, he took that reporter Knapp, you know, from Las Vegas uh, to that place because Knapp didn't believe him in the late 80s when he was interviewing him. And he took him to that place and walked right in the front door and led him around, showed him where the break room was, showed him where every he's oh, and right over here is this lab, whatever. And he knew where everything was. Right. And even a couple of people when they were walking through, they were like, oh, Bob, I haven't seen you in a while. Right. And he's in the year he said he was working there before Area 51. He's in the phone book. He's in the lab's phone book. 
But then you go to the records department, he doesn't exist. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it is interesting. So he says he worked to to study remains of extraterrestrial vehicles. And you were talking about his situation with George Knapp. I mean, he was he was pretty involved in that as well. What tell me about him a little bit before we go further. There was someone who was supposed to be on his show on the newscast at uh, on this particular day. And the guy can't. He's a, he's a reporter, right? Yeah, he's a reporter in Las Vegas, in Las Vegas. Um, he's a reporter, investigative reporter. He's been there for, God, 40 years, probably more. And um, on this particular day, someone canceled on him and they needed to fill a spot for the newscast later in the day or something. Well, he knows Lear. And so he called Lear and asked Lear, you know, do you know anyone who could come on and fill this this aviation spot or whatever it was that he needed filled? And Lear said, I think I have someone for you and contacted his friend, Bob Lazar, because he had been talking to their friends. They they'd befriended each other and, and Lear had seen all these saucers and wanted Bob Lazar to spill the beans, to say what was going on. And he was hesitant and everything, but he's, Oh, I think I got someone for you. And he showed up and they, they put him, you know, like with the whole voice changer, he was in shadow and his name was Dennis, but he used the name of his supposed boss at the S4 site at area 51, who was Dennis um, as, as opposed to his real name. And then it goes from there. It just gets even weirder and weirder as you go. And so he was this guy who, who ended up being Bob Lazar. He spoke under anonymity mm-hmm. and spoke to like the public. Right? I mean, this is like a news broadcast in, when it was in May of 1989. 89, right. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the different things that he had, he had experienced via working there. One of the things was the existence of technologies that were, what did you call them? Like anti-gravity? Uh, yeah. Uh, gravity. Um, yeah. Anti-gravity. Uh, gravity canceling kind of things. As a means of propulsion, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was fueled, not fueled, but it was created by element. He claimed it was fueled by something called element 115. And he said that the stuff he was working on was uh, not from this planet and uh, quote, does not exist. He goes, it's impossible. It does not exist. We don't have this stuff, but I was working on it. Right. So that's kind of like, wait, what? One thing I read said that he alleged that uh, from the recovered craft that they had collected about 500 pounds, 500 pounds, dude. 500 pounds. And apparently uh, he may have, it seems like he may have absconded with some of that too. Cause the FBI is constantly fucking with that guy to this day. So I guess what happened to him? So he, 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 he appeared uh, on the news story and eventually he came out his, his identity came out, right. Came to be known. And he claimed that he worked, went to school at these prestigious universities. He worked, as a contract, was it a, as a contractor? Yeah, through a, a temp agency like EG and G, I believe, or something in Las Vegas. He worked through them, and the only reason he got this gig, quote unquote, was because when he was at Sandia Labs, uh, he had met um, uh, not not Fermi, but the other guy. I think it was Teller. It was one of the guys who worked on the the nuclear bomb in the forties and fifties, right? Uh, he had met him. At a, at a talk at Sandia Labs, just outside briefly. And he had read the paper, Teller had read the paper 
um, about him and his rocket car, about this guy who works at Sandy Labs. It's in the yeah. paper. Too. This guy that works at Sandy Labs who built this rocket car that can break all these fucking crazy speeds, right? And there's a picture Still to of him this right day. there. To this, yeah, yeah, 400 exactly. miles an hour. It's insane. But there's a picture of him, and it's fucking Bob Lazar in that picture. And that is the paper from, from Albuquerque. And you can see the rocket car behind him. And, and Teller fucking read that paper and recognized him. And said, you're the guy with the rocket car, right? And they they got up a conversation. And then he referred Bob Lazar to Area 51 as a scientist saying, you know, gave him, you know, gave him a reference, basically. And that's the only reason that they hired him on as a temp at Area 51 with all his secret clearance. He was just a civilian. You know, he wasn't like anyone important. And he says they he thinks they did that just to find someone kind of who thought out of the box. Yeah, he goes the normal circles. Exactly. Because he goes, there are a hundred people I could think of who are way more qualified to go there and do this than I was, because there was only a few people doing this, right? Well, that's some of the criticism he got. Right. Right. He said some people say, Well, you you did there's no evidence you went there. Right. In fact, you're pretty mediocre and you wouldn't have been accepted at these schools. Exactly. With those types of grades. Uh huh. So what did he talk about? He talked about working. I mean, he, uh, some of the stuff that I, I read was or saw was pretty interesting, right? He talks about like walking by rooms and seeing some pretty crazy stuff. But it sounded like he was pretty compartmentalized too, despite having this top secret clearance, right? You could not you could not talk to anyone outside of your direct, like the people you were working with directly, which was only one or two people. Now, Dennis was the guy who like let him in and let him out. He's the one who like, uh, you know, gave him the, the whole lowdown on everything. But when he first went in, he said there was a room. It was like on the side of a, a cliff or like on a side of a mountain. When you go to S4, it was like some miles, 10 miles, maybe South of area 51 in the middle of the desert. And he said, it was like, you weren't allowed to like look up or look around. You had to just look straight down look straight forward or they would fuck you up. They told you straight up, you do not look around. And he said, though, at one time they they were out of the out of this blacked out bus for just a split second, and he noticed there was nothing there. But then all of a sudden they're in a hangar, right? So he said it was like the sandblasted sort of like thing that would come up, and then you could go in, it would go back down, and it would look just like the seamless, like a mountain, like a sandblasted sort of textured brown mountain. And so you couldn't see it from the air or satellites or anything. And he said the first room in that place. They sat him down and and he said a book was put in front of him and Dennis just left the room. Just like that. Just like really mysterious, right? And he said he started going through the book and there were pictures of like crashed, crashed alien craft, pictures of aliens. There was write-ups about, you know, all those memos and shit about what's going on. And he said he didn't believe any of, any of the shit. So he thought it was just a psychological test to see what he would believe. And it was all bullshit, right? They're just fucking with him to just test him psychologically, right? And then after a while, a couple of visits, all of a sudden he was basically introduced to the craft itself. And he said it was in one of nine hangars. They had nine craft and the hangars were separated. They're all compartmentalized. But he said one day, all hang all the hangars just happened to be up and he saw all nine in a row going down way down the, the line. And he said one in the middle was like up on its side and it had a big hole through it. Like it was blasted with a missile or something. Oh, and he goes, I don't know. I had a really weird feeling that we did that to that, to that, spaceship or something like that and so he i he gave me the impression like that might have been the roswell craft or something but he said they were all different it was like they're all from different it was like it was like one's a buick and one's gmc and the other one's a pony you know what i mean he said they're all so different but they all looked like they were injected molded not like they were put together but like they were injected molded one piece tiny little seats too right little seats 
teeny tiny seats. He said when he, when he went in, he he couldn't really actually go in the top part, like where the where the pilot would be or whatever. But he said there was no right angle turns and any any part of the ship it was all smooth smoothly rounded and everything so there's nothing you could like get caught on or, or any you know nothing no no right angle turns he said he had to crouch down he could barely get fit in there and he said when he saw the little teeny tiny seats that was the moment because initially he said he thought they were like a, a a secret craft that we were making right because they even were all emblazoned with the big american flag on the side like a sticker you know like usaf or whatever yeah so they America, United States put little fucking like stickers on the side of these craft, right? It's so funny. But there are, oh, there are. Oh. <laughs> exactly. And, and he said when he first saw him, he was like, oh, that's what all these UFO sightings are about. It's actually just our stuff. There is no aliens at all. You know, and he, he said he never thought about it anyway. But when he saw the little tiny seats, that's when he like, like kind of shuddered like, oh, oh, wait a minute. And he said all of a sudden there was like this ominous feeling that came over him because he realized at that moment, these aren't ours at all. Right. And from that moment on, he had no choice, but to, to realize that these aren't our ships and he is part of a back engineering program. How long did he work there for? Do you know? I think it was like eight, six or eight months. Right. Yeah. It wasn't very long. <laughs> no, not very long at all. And he said they basically got nowhere. Apparently there's like a core, like a metallic core that contains the, the, um, the uh, element 115. Right. And he said, the only reason he was there was he was one of the people to replace two people who were recently killed because these geniuses decided to try to um, use a plasma cutter to cut into one of those cores. And he said it was like a small tactical nuclear device that went off and just evaporated those guys. So that's why he was there. He was a replacement. Well, it's not surprising. I'm looking at something here. It says the power source to this these gravity, what would you call them? Anti-gravity, gravity amplifier, something like that. It's like a, it's like a gravity amplifier cancel or something. It's weird. The power source uses this radioactive element 115, which actually has been synthesized in Russia. It's called Moscovium. Right. They did it in uh, 2003. 2003. So they're using this element, which is bombarded with, it's basically put into a, a particle accelerator mm -hmm. and the protons fuse into the nucleus of the atom and it is turned into element 116. Mm -hmm. uh, and they say that this technology, the way that they do it, is very unusual, not what we do here. Right. And that up to that point, they couldn't, they they knew that these types of, you know, with the periodic table, they knew these elements could theoretically exist, but not necessarily that they did. Or at least not in our solar system, is what Bob Lazar said. He said maybe they exist in other solar systems, but they're not natural in our solar system. And apparently they they go to these like there, there are like three tubes at the bottom of this craft, and you could like aim these tubes in different directions and different configurations to make it do different things. So like if you aimed them all if you aimed them all like a certain way like down it would just hover, and if you aimed like one of them away it would tilt on its side. And then if you tilted like all three of them away it would create this like envelope that you, and he he said picture like a heart shaped thing that went around the craft, and that is you basically falling falling away towards gravity. So they actually, they would actually fly sideways. So when you see like spaceships going, you know, like, like horizontally, that's bullshit. They tip on their side and then zoom away because they're falling into this gravity well. And the gravity well creates a pocket of, of its own space, basically. So you can actually, you're reaching, the, you're going faster than the speed of light, but you're not actually traveling because you, you've created your own gravity and you just basically warp to wherever you want to go instantaneously. That's crazy, dude.
And that's why inertia has no effect. What you see these right angle turns things. Why they can do all these crazy turns and everything. Because they're in their own, they have, they're in their own gravity. Well, their own space time is there. They're not a part of space time. That's their own. They've created their own so they can just skip to wherever they want to go. And it doesn't matter how fast you're going because you're actually not going any speed. You, what people see outside of that is something going right angle turns crazy fucking you go boom right into space. But you don't feel that within the craft. There's no inertia whatsoever. That's nuts, dude. Now they got, I mean, you said they didn't get anywhere, but doesn't, I thought he described that they were actually, that there were some working units, but there was ones that they had had and figured out how to work. He said that they, he watched one time. He said he watched it just hover. He like, it came off the ground and him, two other scientists and, and this Dennis guy, I guess, were out in the middle of the desert. And it, he said it was maybe 20, 30 feet off the ground. And it was just hovering there and kind of wobbling, like unstable. And then it came back down and landed. And he said, you know, that sounds like, you know, wow, big freaking deal. But he goes, no, you don't understand when we were watching it. We we're just like in awe, like they couldn't believe it was like really amazing. But they couldn't, that was using the technology that was already there that they recovered. That wasn't using like human technology. So they hadn't, re- they hadn't like reverse engineered anything. They were just, they were just testing what they already had. And I guess they did other tests where they actually flew higher and around that area. And those are the um, tests that he filmed with his buddy Lear and his wife or his ex-wife now, but, and uh, another friend, actually, the four of them watched this on three different occasions until um, one time they were uh, out there watching it. And all of a sudden out of the darkness, he said, there were, there were guys with night vision goggles and fucking, and M, you know, M16s or whatever, like pointed right at their heads and they dragged them into the base. And we're like, what the fuck are you doing out here? Cause they were still technically on public land. So it wasn't like technically illegal, but you weren't supposed to be out there watching that shit. And the fact that he had worked there previously, he feared for his life. And that's why he came out with his own name and talked to George Knapp on TV using right. his real name and everything. Cause he said that was his insurance policy. Because he feared like they were going to kill him. Feared for his life. Yeah, they were going to kill him because he he spilled the beans to these people. And he said the thing that Dennis told him was, when we said you could work here and not to speak to anybody about this, that didn't mean go ahead and tell your best friends and your wife, right? And he said one of the one of the guys there, one of the military guys, had a pistol like pressed to his head, and he said he, he thought for sure right then the guy was going to just shoot him in the head and he was dead. But then he like, you know, pulled off and then they kicked him out of the base. And he said he was run off the road in his car and shots were fired into his car on the um, the 15, you know, through Las Vegas. And he said he was just sitting there like waiting for the guy to come up and just tap him in the head. But it never happened. And he drove home and he said, that's it. I got to fucking come out because if everyone knows about this, they can't touch me. Right. And so far it's worked. So that's pretty it's a pretty convincing, compelling story. Yeah. But they've been kind of I mean, they did they raid him because they wanted to try to recover that some of what they think that they had was that element 115 yeah while that corbell corbell i think i think corbell was making that documentary in 2017 or 18 and during the making of the documentary he got raided yeah and they took all kinds of shit out of his lab he has his own um nuclear nuclear science lab in michigan or something yeah and they totally raided him one thing i read here was that i guess the records obtained through a freedom of information act request show that the raid was part of a murder investigation what? Determine whether his company sold thallium to a murder suspect in Michigan. Lazar is not listed as a suspect in the investigation. I did not know that. That's not, that's kind of the thing. So it's kind of like one of those things is like, oh, he's raided. And I and I hear the it's like this is where it gets kind of hard what to what to believe and what not to believe. Because okay, so they can show he was raided in 2017. But Lazar that could be it. that could be a cover story. Well, it, it sure could. And that's what I was gonna say. 
Right. Or it could be really this. I mean, that's the thing is we don't know. Did they list the name of the person who was murdered? Um, probably here. not. Not 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 in this website I'm reading. <laughs> probably not. Which uh, makes it a little more questionable, you know. And uh, what? So they were selling what was it? Thallium. Oh, thallium. That's strange. And so the thallium killed the guy, and so it was a possible murder or potential murder or or accidental death or something or. Someone else used it to murder the guy. I, I don't get it. Yeah, uh, I guess it's like a poison. You could use it to poison people. Okay. And so, um, yeah. So the FBI sent dozens and dozens of cars. The FBI, not the local police or anything, but the FBI. Right. I guess it is a pretty toxic, like illegal material. Yeah, I mean, it would so, be yeah. significant. I mean, but he can still he can still have all, all you know he can make his own hydrogen and everything which is illegal because you know a citizen had the access to that shit they could basically build their own nuclear weapon right so he still has the ability if he wanted to to build like a tactical nuke because he has access to these different chemicals even though the government is after him supposedly right which is makes it a little questionable like how would he have access to this shit and if he's saying all this stuff about the the government and he's lying. You'd think the government would still want him to shut the fuck up about this because they're they're just it's just like we're, we're not doing this. Now none of this is real. None of this is true. Shut up. But the government has made no statements on Babazar. They they well, have not, come after him. They've come after him. But there's no like official government statement saying everything he says is a lie. It's all untrue. He's delusional and making it up. There's never been any sort of official statement on the shit that Babazar says, which make me makes me kind of go, why is that? Because you'd think they would. Uh, well, here we go. So in 1990, he was arrested for aiding and abetting a prostitution ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, he pleaded guilty and, and some different things. Yep. In 2006, uh, he and his wife were charged with violating the Federal Hazardous Substances Act for shipping chemicals across state lines through their company, United Nuclear. You got to back up a second. When he was when he was in court for that prostitution thing, right? There's film, there's footage of him standing there about to be sentenced and everything. And the judge goes, well, we have we have your your slip here of, um, uh, let's see, uh, you know, like his W-2 form kind of thing. And it says uh, the Office of Naval uh, Research, blah, blah, blah. He he goes, yeah, this is a little weird because the courts can't find where this is. Uh, This technically doesn't exist, but this is a real W-2 form. So. We can't find any information on you, Mr. Lazar. And he's he just he didn't say a thing. He just kind of shrugged, like, what can I tell you? Right? That's a little weird. Yeah. And then someone, an admiral in the Pentagon was questioned about this, right? And the dude flipped his fucking wig and says, Don't you ever fucking ask me this question again. Leave my office. And that was to one of one of these uh one of these guys who was fighting in the first uh the first gulf war he was an aviator and he knew the bob lazar story he doesn't believe in ufos but he wanted to know why is this office of naval intelligence he's never heard of it why is this like all this stuff on his w-2 how come no one can figure this out so we went directly to the admiral and the admiral fucking flipped he goes why did that happen why was the admiral so pissed off at me and told me never talk to me about this again or i'll have you court-martialed why would that be dude that's really weird and it all lines up to something may be true about everything he's saying yeah well that's i guess what i was getting at is when you have that you know that prostitution charge and you have the company getting rated for violating hazardous substances selling 
substances illegally. Um, they obviously are looking at him now. It could be that he's shady and doing all these things and knowingly violating these laws, trying to make a buck. But maybe some of this stuff could be that they're harassing him. Maybe they'll say, hey, you know what? I know you didn't do anything with this prostitution ring, but you can end up dead or we could, <laughs> could take this. In. I mean, who knows? It's, it's That's where I, I was, I'm getting at is it's sort of hard to know what to believe and what not to in this case, because some of the stuff seems like, like it makes sense. Like, oh, it could be to discredit him, but could also be he's just a shyster. So explain his name in the phone book for Sandia Labs, which says there's no record he ever worked there. And people are like, they know him. Oh, yeah, he worked there. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not counting that. I guess what I'm saying is this is where it gets one of those ones where it's kind of hard. It's very hard to say what's what's going on, because if you ask me, I do believe he worked there. You know, I do believe that he saw some stuff. Um the kicker for me is that is the W-2s that say Office of Naval Intelligence, which does not exist. And when you try to like find it, it does not exist. And those are verified actual W-2 forms. He didn't fucking print those in his house or something and make them up. The, those It shows how much he earned and everything. It has his social security. They're actual IRS printouts, right? And it shows this place that doesn't exist. That's weird, dude. Well, he would get the W-2 from the company, not from the IRS. Right. So they're dummies then for not setting it up correctly if they're trying to hide it. right? It's been, call it... It, it, it's, it was gone through the IRS and it was confirmed that those are legitimate W-2 forms out. So that's just weird. Because they have the employer ID number or whatever. Exactly. Yep, exactly. Those are all legitimate fucking printouts, dude. That's just, that, that, that is the single weirdest thing to me that doesn't make any sense. And it's like, well, the Office of Naval Intelligence doesn't exist. Well, it does exist. I mean, he was getting paid through that, whatever it is. But you try to look it up or you try and research it and, and it doesn't exist. You go to the higher people, the higher echelons in the government, try and research it or talk to them about it. They get pissed off and it just doesn't make any sense, dude. And people went to school with him, but you can't find any record of him anywhere. Yeah, that's what gets me. That's the part that gets me. Well, people went. People say they went to school with him. And here's the thing. When you're working for the government, in a, a, a collegiate, you know, like at a college, when you're doing like kind of secret or covert programs as a student working for the government, you're not going to be in any yearbook. They don't put you in a yearbook. Your name isn't listed in those things because they, they don't want you to be listed in them because you're doing secret stuff. That's what I think he was doing. I see. So where's he at today? What's he doing today? I mean, you sort of, he, his name comes up. I know he does podcast appearances sometime, but what What's he doing today? He still owns this company. He owns that company of what is it? What is it called? Nuclear United Nuclear, I think. United Nuclear. Where is that at though? I think it's Michigan, right? Or somewhere in the Midwest, maybe Minnesota, somewhere. I know he was in New Mexico for a while, and then he moved back up north. You know, kept his company going. He has a few employees, and uh, there's there's actual stuff on YouTube showing him just working in his you know in his field, not talking about UFOs or anything. And he's going through different things, different different things of, of science and physics. And uh, giving demonstrations, you know, about hydrogen, how to convert, you know, water and this and that, whatever. And he shows off his his electric or his hydrogen powered car that he built himself. Right. He shows off all this stuff. And it's like this guy isn't a dummy at all. I mean, he's insanely smart. Right. And it's not like he's just like this, this like lower tier, like scientist or something. He's actually really fucking smart, dude. And he, he like people research him or like try and find him out, you know get to him all the time to talk to him about the UFO thing. And he just spurns him. He doesn't want to deal with it. 
But uh, he, George Knapp is the one to talk to to get any sort of attention from Bob Lazar because they are friends after all these years, right? So if George Knapp like contacts him and says, you know, will you please do this interview or will you do this or whatever? He says it takes months and months sometimes, but he's been able to talk him into doing the Joe Rogan show like four or five years ago. And then four or five years ago to be a part of that, uh, the documentary about him, right? But then that's it. And that's it. And then he just kind of vanishes again. I think he did one seminar at a college where he talked about this with George Knapp and uh, and Corbell, the guy who made the documentary. But other than that, he just went back home and he's back at his lab. Huh. Was well, an interesting one. I think it's got some bits of truth to it that make me make you think. Because he seems like one of the more uh, credible people in a way. Yeah, but if you like, yeah, I, th- I think he actually did all this shit. I think he's not lying. And by saying that, that's saying that we have recovered craft, you know, at least the United States does, of extraterrestrial beings, dude. And it's, the next question is, how the fuck did we get their craft? If they're so advanced that they flew across a, the galaxy, maybe the universe. They crashed. How the fuck did they crash here if they could get through space they like crashed. that? They crashed. Shit, Wait, shit breaks. Shit breaks. You know, what, you, fail. Know what I, you know what I think it was, though? It was basic primitive radar. They fucking ended up they just ended up in this situation where just shitty fucking human radar fucked up the cra- their craft somehow. And they just went, oh, no, no, crash. Dude, that's crazy. That's what I think it was initially. Or it could be these different species living on the edge of their bleeding edge of technology, right? When when, yeah. when Elon Musk sends whoever he's going to send or the NASA sends whoever they're going to send to Mars, those people are going to probably die too. Dude, you're right. So these are on the people, these are beings on the cusp. They're oh, just the getting to the edge. point yet. I didn't even think of that before. You're right on the bleeding edge. So they they made it to Earth. Yay, to check out the species. But oh, shit, we didn't think of this part. <laughs> Crash, right? Yeah, or something just failed. Yeah. There's... Just like the first ship of 100 people Elon Musk sends to Mars is going to fucking probably do. The world's most ingenious mass murderer, Elon Musk. Oh, anyway, enough of that. Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor. <laughs> well we know what the next episode is uh thanks for listening everyone uh, we'll see you next week you, are you good yep we're good thanks for listening everyone